Well, hey guys, Tear Gas and Gumdrops, Chris Morton, uh, coming to you from the future. Uh, by future, uh, I mean future later than when we recorded uh, what you're just about to listen to. And I'm here with... Uh, future Kyle Sapp. Uh, yeah, normally we uh, we get together, we record, uh, or we interview somebody, and then we do very minor editing and post that. But uh, during this interview, uh, we hit some technical difficulties uh, due to technology. So uh, it's going to be a little weird at points, but it's still a really great interview. And uh, Mandy is just a delightful person, and I think she has great things to say. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually listened to the interview yet <laughs> due to more, more technical t- difficulties. <laughs> But I'm just going to assume, based on the brief moment I got to spend with her, that yeah. you will be very blessed by yeah. our time together. And then we'll, we'll come back afterwards and uh, close all of that out. So, future Kyle, sign off. <laughs> yeah, uh, so you're about to hear um, our interview. We both interviewed Mandy separately. So you'll hear Kyle introduce her, um, and then I did some questions with her, and you'll notice that like the sound quality kind of jumps back and forth. Apologize for that. Uh, Mandy is a pastor, a pastor of University Christian Church. She's also an author, most recently, of a book called The Vulnerable Pastor. She's one of the main uh, contributors to missioalliance.org, which is a great blog. And, um, yeah, so take a listen. Even though it's a little weird, I think you'll still get a lot from her because she's awesome. Um, And we will be back after the interview. How's that? You want to go? I thought that was good. Yeah, let's go. Wait, what? I'm recording. Go without me. Wait. So you're recording, but you you're not talking. I'm trying to figure this out. Huh. He's gonna have so much fun editing this one. His audio isn't working. Oh man. So I guess we will record without him. No worries. I can totally do this. Okay. So uh, this. This will be a super fun interview. I, I, I interview someone who I've literally met right now. So here we go. Yeah. Welcome, everybody, to uh, Tear Gas and Gumdrops, a pod dedicated to the pain and sweetness of ministry. I am your uh, one of your co-pod pastors, Kyle Sapp, coming at you live from Sacramento, California. And I am here with Chris Morton in spirit. Uh, we are having technical difficulties. His audio is not working. So he is watching <laughs> uh, me do this podcast and interview today's guest. And today's guest um, needs no introduction, but I will give one anyway. Her name is Mandy Smith. She hails from Cincinnati, Ohio, because I know my geographies. Uh, and I literally met Mandy uh, three minutes ago, and in the last three minutes, I have found that she is truly an exceptional person, so I will let Mandy tell you more about herself. Mandy, um, tell us uh, where wow. you, more about you and what you do, and um, I, you have a book or two coming up, right? Yes, I have one that just came out in the fall of last year called The Vulnerable Pastor with InterVarsity Press. 
And I don't know what I did to make myself seem exceptional in three minutes, but I need to uh, hone that skill somehow, obviously. Um, yeah, I am at University Christian Church uh, up by the University of Cincinnati campus, and I'm lead pastor there, started on staff there about eight years ago. And um, my husband is a New Testament professor at a smaller independent Christian college um, next, next till over from the big university campus where my church is. And uh, so we live by his campus and are involved in that ministry as well. And then we have two beautiful teenagers and a very friendly pit bull. <laughs> you are originally from Australia. Is that where you met your husband? Yes, he, okay. we're both Australian. Okay, very cool. Uh, and are you releasing a new book shortly or? That's the, that's the one. In the oh. Fall. oh, this coming fall. No, it just came out. Oh, it just came out last fall. Last, oh, okay. That feels fairly recent to me, but I guess I guess I need to get started on the next book. <laughs> well, do you have time as a lead pastor? <laughs> Sometimes it just burns a hole in your head, and you just have to write it. Oh well, true to that. I uh, have yet to feel that, so I'll probably <laughs> be an author. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, Mandy, just just. So I get to know a little bit more about you. Um, how did you get called into ministry? How did that all kind of take place? Mm, that's a long story. I think I always felt a sense of something that um, was drawing me to be in this adventure with God. And I'm from a tradition that doesn't usually affirm women in ministry. In fact, when I was in Bible college, uh, I took several classes telling me exactly what I shouldn't be doing, which is hard when you're a young woman who's also trying to figure out who she is. And uh, so there was a lot of wrestling and tears and journaling and reading and all that to try and figure out how the God in my heart and how the God in Scripture and how the God in my in the church could all be one. Mm. Um, and uh, so after Bible college, worked for a couple of years, put my husband through his PhD, and then I was home full time for 10 years with my kids, all the time kind of wrestling with what is this thing on my heart and did a lot of freelance writing and wrote my first two books. Um, during that time when I was home with the kids mm. and was um, walk, working alongside my husband in his ministry as he was uh, doing some pastoring. So I got to be the pastor's wife. I've, I've been both the pastor and the pastor's wife now. So um, it's interesting to have both of those perspectives. Um, yeah. So about eight years ago when my youngest went to school, I thought, you know, it would be really great to step into ministry and the church that we had been attending for some time was looking for someone. I think they kind of made a job for me, actually. And I started as an associate pastor there. I never really saw myself preaching or leading the church, but it was a really wonderful situation where I was able to step into then co-leading with the lead pastor as he was being called into other things. And uh, it was a way to be able to be kind of apprenticed in it and to be, give, to be given permission to figure out what that looks like for mm. me to do it as I need to do it. Um, so about three years ago, uh, I stepped into the lead pastor role. And um, it's, it's a wonderful situation where the church is really gracious to let me figure out what that needs to look like for me. And it's um, one of the few congregations, I think, in, in the movement that I'm a part of that is open to that. I know there are a lot of women... Uh, or quite a few women in the movement who do preach occasionally, who are discipleship pastors or women's pastors or something like that. But as far as I know, I'm the only lead pastor who's a woman in the 6,000 churches that are a part of this uh, restoration movement or Stone Campbell movement. Mm. Yeah, and you're, I think you're the first uh, female 
um, pastor, and actually, I think you're the first female that we've uh, gotten the chance to interview uh, on our on our podcast. So well, great, yeah, I you need can to represent. Yeah, represent the ladies. Mandy, we, we like we call us tear gas and gumdrops because we are passionate about helping people understand uh, days like today, <laughs> uh, the pain and sweetness of ministry and mission. And so, um, you know, with what I've heard from you, uh, as well as what you've written, I just know that that's something you're really in touch with. So the first question we like to ask is, uh, tell us about a teardrop moment or <laughs> tear. I can't even <laughs> say the name of my own podcast. Tell us about a tear gas moment, uh, a moment, uh, of difficulty or hardship or, uh, disappointment and, um, kind of what that story was and what you, uh, learned from that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only one that really comes to mind above all others is one that happened when I was just stepping into the co-lead pastor role. I had been associate pastor for about three years and was stepping into lead with my, with the lead pastor. So I was feeling, uh, very aware of my need for something to feel ready for this role and went to a really big conference and just had a really open heart, hoping that God would use it in some way to prepare me for this job that was quite daunting to me. And okay. uh, he definitely did use it, but not in the way that I expected. Uh, and so... Can you say the name of the conference? No, I prefer not to. Because <laughs> they're really good people. Yeah. They weren't doing anything yeah. to harm me. Um, they, they, you know, they're all ministry and mission-oriented people, but everything about them... Everything that I saw there for the first 24 hours just didn't look anything like me. And there were some wow. things that were really direct where they said, all leaders will be motivated by this. And some things that were less direct where I just didn't see anyone who, who seemed to think like me or um, do things the way I needed to do them. And so um, I'm just kind of a sensitive personality. Some people in my situation may have got angry about that, but I just felt so incredibly um, yeah. left out. Wow. And tried to um, tried to sit through it for a while and just couldn't couldn't face it any longer and so kind right. of ran to my hotel room and just holed up there for about twenty four hours and um, everything around me was saying I needed to fit this ba this particular model of of minister and so yeah. when I went looking inside of myself for any sign of that I found absolutely nothing. And so I said to God, you've made a mistake. Like, I just cannot find anything inside of myself that looks like this. And I wanted mm. him to come alongside of me and say, like a friend does, you know, oh, no, look at this, look yeah. at this, look at this, you can do it. And I really didn't hear any of that from him. I just kept hearing him say, in your weakness, I am strong, which really wow. felt like, yeah, that's a cliche. I've heard that a hundred times before. And I realize now it's because at the time I understood that to mean... In your weakness, I will make you feel strong. Okay. And I didn't feel strong, and so I didn't think he was answering that promise at all. And instead, he was wanting to say, you may always feel weak, but there is an opportunity for me to be strong in that. And so for 24 hours, they're just locked up in that hotel room. It's kind of a blur now. I think there was a lot of, well, I know there was a lot of crying. There was some vomiting. <laughs> um, there were several tearful conversations to people trying to process what on earth God was doing. Um 
not wow. much sleep happened and not much eating happened. Um, and this is all at the conference. This is all still in that hotel room. Yeah. And it really, when I remember it, it was kind of a dingy hotel room too. So this helped, but it kind of right. feels like a tomb to me <laughs> when I remember that place. Yeah. And when I think about how I felt, it feels like the inside of me was just a desert. Um, and honestly, I just, I could not see, it was so painful. I couldn't see any way forward at all. And so then I come back to ministry mm -hmm. Now that doesn't get resolved in a day. So I come right. back to this new role, hoping, you know, thinking I should have come back with all this, this power and encouragement. And I come back just with shaking hands. And, uh, I think I've put it, uh, before a mental map of the cavernous wastelands inside of me or something like that. Like I just had such a sense of everything that was missing yeah. in me. And it wasn't until maybe six months later that some of that started to make sense for me. And I realized, uh, I was a woman at a mostly male conference. I was an introvert at a predominantly extroverted conference, an right. artist at a conference right. that, that is kind of run in kind of biz, with business models of ministry, and then an Australian at a mostly American conference. And so it only makes sense that I didn't mm. fit in there. And so I kind of dug into each one of those things that made me feel like I didn't belong and started to see how if being a woman uh, teaches me that I might be physically weaker, but that mm -hmm. means that means I have to rely on other people. Um, then that you know that can be a ministry resource. And if being an introvert lets me um, be comfortable with silence and depth, then that's a ministry resource. And I kind of went through all of those things. If being yeah. if being a foreigner means I've learned how to speak and listen in more than one language, that's a ministry resource, you know. And so. Um, Wow. And so somehow I started to see that there really could be, not just in some theoretical way, uh, some real ways that God could bring strength from what felt like weakness. And mm -hmm. um, from that just grew this kind of, it was almost an experimental approach to say, like, if that is strong, if it really is true that God can be strong, even yeah. when we are weak, I need to test that. Like, I want to find the, the length and the depth of that. And so the only way I knew to do that was to just be weak and and trust that God could somehow be seen. And What's that look like? Yeah, messy. <laughs> <laughs> and and I've made a lot of mistakes, but um for me, you know, my, my book is called The Vulnerable Pastor and um right. it's not just about being vulnerable in the sense of saying things that make me feel vulnerable. I know that Brené Brown has talked a lot about that, and that's a part of it. But for me, the bigger picture is acknowledging that we are vulnerable as human beings, that we don't always have ideas and we don't always have energy and we sometimes get sick or old and all of these things mm -hmm. are factors in our ministry. And there must be some way if God has called us as human beings to ministry to actually be human beings in that place and to have bad days sometimes. Um, yeah. And so it began with me just kind of wrestling personally. And then it started to show real fruit when I kind of tentatively stepped a little bit at a time into letting other people see, you know, when I had an argument with my husband and I wasn't ready for a meeting to actually say that. And then that turned into this great opportunity for somebody else to say, well, I'm ready for this meeting. I've got some ideas. Do you want to hear them? You know? Um, and so it's, it's showing itself to be true. The more that I step into it, you know, it started tentatively with my staff um, and, you know, letting them kind of see behind the scenes of even my wrestling when I'm having doubts or when I'm just not feeling it or when I don't know what the next step for the church is. 
um, it's surprising how when you do that with people who can handle it and you kind of navigate the best ways to, to do that with people, um, there is amazing freedom that breaks through. And so then from learning to do that with my staff, I started yeah. letting that be seen to the broader congregation. And again, there's, there's some discernment that has to happen to decide what is actually helpful and what isn't helpful. Um, yeah. But it has brought incredible... Most of the growth that I have seen in my congregation has come from things that felt really weak to me, and yeah. so it's a strange thing. It's a strange thing for me to um, to watch how every single time somebody in my congregation has said to me that was really powerful. Like when I've preached, for example, it's never come from a time when I felt powerful. <laughs> the times when I feel powerful, yeah. it just kind oh, of falls man. flat, you know. And so I'm starting yeah. to really trust in the truth of this. And I just realized that this has already become a bit of a gumdrop thing, you know, that I can't tell mm. that story without sharing what goodness grew from it. But at the time, and for probably for six months afterwards, it was one of the darkest times of my life because I really thought, I've been praying, I was like 40, I think, I've been praying yeah. my whole life and preparing for this thing and studying and thinking I'm called to this thing. And suddenly, after all this time, when I'm finally stepping into this role, I, I don't have anything to give. And so that was just an incredibly dark, empty moment. Um, and so I'm bringing it back now to the, to the tear gas. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's good. I think, man, there's so many things about that, but what I, I guess the thing I'm appreciating right now hearing that is that, um, you know, just this past week, there was another story of a large church where uh, the pastor was act asked to stop down because of his domineering nature. Mm. Um, and, uh, that's all, that's all that, you know, the press releases said or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, I just have to think that, uh, part of this is systematic mm. that there's a, you know, a system that, creates and rewards oh, absolutely. Um, this pseudo strength. Mm -hmm. And um, what I love about your story is not only did you recognize the need to be vulnerable, but you've taken steps towards creating a system uh, that is uh, about vulnerability. And mm -hmm. what else, you know, is the, is the story of Jesus about if it's right. not about a vulnerable God? Exactly. Um, and so I can... It's interesting because people aren't following me. They're not putting their hope in me. And I think that's really what we set up. We really, we really want our pastors to be our hope and our strength. And when we see that they get tired or have bad days or fail, then our hope is somehow lost. And instead, when a pastor has the courage or the the grace is given to them to be them, them true, their true selves, then instead I can say like, this is so far beyond me, it's funny. I'm just going to have to trust God here, and will you trust him with me? Then we're following together, and they're watching how I follow him as opposed to following me, Yeah. which is freeing for me too because I can't live up to those standards. And when I hear about those those stories of somebody having some kind of a fall, I just think the system is created to, to prop us up for failure if we have right. to be strong all the right. time. Yeah. Man, and like, I, I mean, I've struggled with that, like wanting to be like feeling like, oh, I've got to be more machismo or, yeah. and, and I can't imagine even what it's like uh, as a woman, because I just know as a dude who's always liked, you know, <laughs> movies more than sports, 
I just, you know, didn't have much to talk about, and I can't only imagine what, what yeah, it's there like. Yeah, there is to... no. If you're looking for, <laughs> uh, if you're looking for something macho, then you come to the wrong person right here. So, right. Yeah. Oh man, that's fantastic. Well, man, yeah, I knew that you would. Uh, that would be really helpful. And um, if you guys haven't had a chance to check out Mandy's book, she goes into that story a little more. Um, and uh, man, I find that so helpful. Uh, yeah, it's well, changed my whole approach to faith, my own wow. personal faith, and it's changed my whole approach to ministry and to mission. So yeah. it's not just like, well, now I trust God with my personal faith or with my personal ministry, but um, if the whole church mm-hmm. is motivated, well, is comfortable, sets aside, if we set aside our own shame and our powerlessness and really let the Spirit of God be powerful, um, and if we stop approaching people out of some kind of expectation that we have to have all the answers and argue them into the faith, then I, I think really the more powerful thing is going to be that they see how we rely on the Lord. That's really what the world wants to see from us. And that grows yeah. naturally when we acknowledge our own human limitation. Yeah. 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 It's a good thing. Hey, just real quickly, can you tell us about kind of how you're, um, what it looks like when you're trying to teach people on your staff and then in your church about that? Yeah. I mean, it just comes, I just can't, I'm just not a very good actress, I guess. I'm not good at pretending and it's actually puts yeah. a lot of anxiety on me where if I like, am really not yeah. feeling great today and I have to pretend I am. And so I, I've come to believe that there is, there is truth in our emotions and that if we kind of like, excavate them there's actually something really significant in there and so um sometimes it's just the case that i i'm not feeling great about my job or there's something else that's overwhelming me in my life i get overwhelmed by everything um or uh you know i just need people to to pray with me and somehow it's even a blessing for people on my staff i think when they're invited Mm -hmm. to serve me in that way by praying with me they get to also see behind the scenes. They're given grace, I think, by knowing, like, oh, pastors don't have to have it all together. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and there's yeah. this kind of freedom that comes from saying, okay, if this is all about me being really great and always having things together, then there's there's just so much anxiety. But if from the very beginning I acknowledge this is not about me being perfect, there's a real freedom that comes from that. And I can, I just, I've even noticed how when I do mess up, like even to say something dumb from the stage or whatever, that even the small things, I can just, (laughs) I just laugh at myself much more than I ever used to. Cause I'm like, or when you're podcast recording a quiz, it doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. It's just given me so much freedom because I'm not trying to put, have it all together. And so there's no surprise when I don't. So that's a that's awesome. So it's a, a follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah, so, uh, that's awesome. Well, let's talk about the flip side of things. Tell us about uh, a, a gumdrop moment, one of the moments that brings you joy and yeah. uh, and, and helps you kind of one of those moments that you like think about on your hard nights when you need mm-hmm. to remember why you're still doing this. Yeah, well, the, it's interesting because I couldn't pick between a couple, and they all have very similar themes. And I think for me. Um, it's usually those times when you have put something out there that felt quite small and maybe you didn't even fully understand it yourself and the community has picked it up and run with it and it's become something so much bigger than you ever imagined that it could. And my problem is, and I think this is connected actually to the tear gas thing because um, 
if my expectation is that I have to come with a five-year plan and tell everybody exactly what the outcomes are going to be, then I'm never right, going to present right. anything because I never have a five-year plan. And, yeah. um, and I'm actually realizing that um, Esther Light Katnik, who has the best name out there, is a um, epistemologist, a Christian epistemologist, who talks about loving in order to know. And um, so that gives me kind of permission to say, like, I, I love this idea or this sense that I'm getting from God. The only way that I can know it more is to step into it. Sitting around thinking about it is not going to help me step into it. And so the, the right. two different stories that come to mind for me are about stepping into that and setting aside my performance pressure to say, like, this seems like a good seed of an idea. I need to take it now for the next two months and think about it before I share it. Instead, sharing it in that moment has really become something. And so... Um, one of the things that comes to mind is um, there was one of the many police shootings that have happened in this country in the last couple of years happened um, right in our neighborhood where the church is last summer. And oh, wow. um, yeah, it was pretty intense, just a few streets away from our church. And in fact, it happened with uh, a university cop. And oh, so really? the university campus shut down entirely on the day when the indictment was was happening or if they found, you know, about the indictment. Um they they shut down the entire university campus because they assumed that there would be riots if things didn't go the way people wanted them to go. And so we're this little church in the middle of that campus setting and thinking like, well, what are we supposed to do here? What's our, what's our job? And I, that's, that kind of situation is really not my strength. And I just was overwhelmed. And I was like, should I plan yeah. this big event? And should I like really? put on this great show? And, and, and I suddenly realized like, well, I don't even know what the, what the, hearing is going to find here what the announcement's going to be yet and so we just said whatever happens we're just going to keep the cafe open we're just going to be here until midnight at okay. least and if riots break out we just want to be a safe place if they don't break out we'll just take some time to pray we just and so I just kind of threw it out there and I was like what if we just kept the building open till midnight what would happen and I felt yeah. so stupid honestly because I was like probably some churches in the area were putting on different events, you know, that were very well programmed. And I just was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have any of that. I'm putting it out there. And it was so beautiful because yeah. one of the baristas said, I'm bringing candles. We're going to have like vigil candles. And someone else came and um, brought uh, journals for everyone to journal. And um, someone came and just played hymns the whole time. I got out some like finger oh, wow. paints and set up this like finger painting station. And so it became this thing where basically all of the protesters who had been at a sit-in down the street came and started, met at our coffee shop and prayed and kind of centered themselves and kind of found peace in themselves before they can go and, like, make peace out there. And um, and they actually said, like, some of us wow. some of us are marchers and some of us are, um, what was the word they used for it? It was like, I think it was peacemakers. And so some of them actually just stayed in the building and talked and prayed and, journaled and so there were probably about 60 or 70 protesters and probably about 30 or 40 church folks and we just hung out in this space and and it just had a really good feel even that was in the middle of all this kind of turmoil with people journaling and talking and painting and someone playing hymns on the piano the whole time and I could not have made that by myself I had to just say what if yeah. we did something and then it yeah. became this thing um, and a similar thing happened um where I, I really felt called, somebody read this, the passage from James in a service about if someone is sick, you should get the elders to pray for them. And when I heard that passage, I, 
I saw the face of a woman in our congregation who just has so many issues. I, I just health issues and mental health issues that I'm so overwhelmed with knowing how to help her. And um, I'm not from a tradition that prays for healing in a, in a literal way. <laughs> right. And so right. I, I sensed that and I was like, yeah, no, I won't be doing that. You know, what if, what if I say we're going to, we're going to pray for healing to this woman and, and she doesn't get healed and I'll look dumb and God will look dumb. So yeah, I'm just not doing that. And uh, I happened to mention it in passing to someone else the next day. And he said, you know what? I had the same sense that day when we read that passage. So I was like, oh, I guess we have to do this now. And I was terrified. I was like, this is going to look really stupid. And um, anyway, so I happened to mention it to a few other, few other people. And so many people kept saying to me, I want to be prayed for as well. I've been wanting to ask for healing prayer. And I didn't wow. know how to ask for that. So by the day, by the time the day finally rolled around, we, we went the whole hog down. We got like the anointing oils and the whole bit, you know. And I think about 12 people came to ask for prayer to be healed. And um, wow. I think about 25 or 30 people came to be a part of the praying. And it just became this beautiful thing that um, was so much bigger than I ever had imagined. And from that, I just, I just really sensed God calling me to dance for the healing to come, I kept hearing, that there was this way that, like, you might not see healing right now, but what would it look like for you to start celebrating that before it ever happens? And so um, so from that, a whole sermon series started where I, I started it on Advent, um, kind of saying, using that metaphorically as well, to say, uh, what would it look like? It doesn't feel like the world is healing yet in so many ways, environmentally, with all the terrorism and war and the racial tensions and everything in the, poli- in the political sphere. It doesn't feel like anything is healing. What would it look yeah. like if instead of waiting for it to happen, yeah. we started celebrating it, trusting that it is happening? Um, and honestly, the, that sermon felt like a really hard sermon to preach. And the, the week beforehand, I could hardly get out of bed two days in a row when I was supposed to be working on my sermon because I was, I was terrified that in a very academic context, here I am saying, dance. Everybody wants to talk about how to solve the world's problems, and I'm just like, I don't know, I'm just going to dance. You know, that's right, just right. and as a woman too, maybe part of that is just baggage around like, well, will they take me seriously if I'm not going to sure. present this well thought out sure. idea of how to fix the world? Instead, if I'm if I'm going to this place that could seem like this emotional hippie girly thing, you know, so I was terrified about <laughs> going to that place. Yeah. Um, but the wonderful thing was when I preached that sermon, there were so many people in the congregation who it resonated with, and it became, in one person's life, he, he wrote a song from it. He's a professional musician, wrote oh, a beautiful wow. song. Um, and someone else wrote a poem. Someone else painted a picture. And, like, this in their own lives, they just that just triggered some things in their own lives that they then shared with me afterwards. And so from it actually began with the, the sense of wanting to pray for healing for this one woman, and then it became a prayer um, prayer service which we've done several times since. And then it became this sermon series and then it became all this art in people's lives. And so that is both incredibly honoring and humbling at the same time. And it reminds me a lot of how it feels if you've ever made music in a group. You know, I've been in bands yeah. and I've been in yeah. choirs. And there's this mm-hmm. amazing way that you feel both, you feel like wrapped up in this sound that's so much yeah. bigger than you and you're making a part, you're, you're a part of making this huge thing and yet at the same time you don't feel small knowing that, well, or either that or you feel small in a good way. I don't know which way it is, but either way it's, I think, one of the most sure. transcendent experiences of life. And 
and at these kinds of gumdrop moments like I'm describing, <laughs> it can feel it can feel like that too. I love it. Oh man. Yeah, there's so much of what you said there, but I think what I my big takeaway and it's funny, so we've done probably half a dozen of these interviews now, and there is something to um just kind of being in the game long enough and, and waiting mm. uh, that things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, there's also, and, and the other half of that is not so much that things happen to you, but things happen um, because you're trying to follow the spirit right. and the best stuff is not the stuff that you have power over. Exactly. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to learn like, what is my part and what is mine to receive? You know, there's this partnership with the spirit of knowing there are things we should be doing, but but maybe we have to receive first somehow. Um, and to me, this is all about vulnerability too. I mean, knowing our need for him and knowing our need for one another is just a human thing, you know. And so if I feel like it's my job to come up with all the ideas by myself, that's not how human beings work. Human beings need need collaboration. So that's a part of why it's just changed everything for me. Love it. Love it. Well, let's uh, end with this real quick. Uh, tell us, tell us two things. First off, tell us anything that you're excited about. That uh, could be, you know, books that you're reading, something you're studying, something you're praying about, uh, something that's happening in your uh, church community. Um, and then also just tell us uh, how we can follow up with you and follow some yeah. of your stuff. Well, it's kind of a big one. The first thing that comes to mind is I, I really am longing for revival for the church. Um, and I know there's a lot of baggage around that word. I'm not from a Pentecostal background. For me, it doesn't necessarily mean the way that we have known it in the past, but since this this experience has brought revival in my own heart, um, I'm longing to see that happen in so many other hearts. And um, in the American context especially, it's very easy to put, put Christians and churches to feel like it's our job to have a very strong expression and to look like we have the answers and we're put together and that undermines the work of the spirit Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just a habit you know it's just in our culture and so what would it look like then i'm watching some people who are still feeling pretty strong and generally speaking it's in it's in the suburbs and it's in the rural areas but um i'm watching also a lot of people in ministry who are really getting desperate and and a lot of that is people who are working in justice, wow. people who are yeah. working in the inner city, people who are working on the coast, post-Christian kind of contexts, and places where you're really dealing with serious issues of poverty and injustice. Um, in those contexts, I think people in the church are feeling desperate. And in an American t- context, when we're used to feeling strong, just failing in our mission is not acceptable and our habit is to mm. to work harder, to buy another book, to go to another conference and somehow think there's something shameful about the fact that we are not accomplishing everything we want to accomplish. But and yeah. this is this for me is where I think revival will come is when American Christians who are used to looking strong are willing at that moment to recognize <clears throat> that that's that's not the habit of people of God to, to fix those problems in their own strength. But throughout the history of our movement, when we have been desperate in whatever way that's been, that's our call to call out to the Father. And, and the desperation, there's no shame in our limitation. There's no shame in our humanity and in the desperate nature of our situation. We need him. And it's okay for us to say, we need you. 
This is too much for us. Millennials are leaving in droves. We don't know how to respond to what's happening in the news. We can't fix all the people in poverty. Um, We can't restore racial tensions. We are so, this is so far beyond us. It's not funny, Lord. Will you come? (laughs) Will you come and, and equip us and encourage us and fill us and be all that we need you to be because your mission is is more than we can do by ourselves. And so um, you can see how that kind of grows from from the experience I shared at the beginning. Definitely. Um, yeah, Definitely. and so I I just have an image of of a, the bride of Christ, you know, that she's been enslaved for so long and used for men's ways of of doing things, and she just longs to be set free and. And this image yeah. of this beautiful young woman with hair just flying, running mm. through the fields, and yeah. d- being what she was made to be, and uh, and so I, I I don't know what I'm supposed to do about that, mm-hmm. but I'm sensing maybe it's just because I'm I'm sensing revival in my own self, but I'm longing I'm longing to see that in others, and I am committing myself to pray. Um, that that would that would come about on a bigger scale. Yeah. So you're saying revival will come when we realize our own vulnerability and yeah, powerlessness. When, when we remember that we need him. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So good. Well, how can uh, people get a hold of you or follow your stuff? Um, yeah. Um, your prolific, I... prolific writing. <laughs> I can't, yeah, there are some things that just need to be written and I can't sit still until I write until I write them. Um, I am blogging quite a bit for Miss Yellow Alliance blog, which I know you know quite a bit about. And <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, my book is The Vulnerable Pastor. It's published with InterVarsity Press. And if anything that I've um, kind of talked about today strikes a chord, then I unpack a lot of that in more detail there. And um, I'm unashamed to promote it because it really has been a story of hope for me and I, I believe that it will bring hope for others as well. So I, I, I want people to read it. Um, and I, I want, it's a part of the longing for revival too, I think, that I, that I hope that that story connects to them in the way that it has for me. Um, also, I guess my sermons are on our church website, universitychristianchurch.net. And I'm just about to start a podcast with Scott Jones called She Said, He Said, which okay. will, be, will be going up very soon, probably in the next couple of weeks. Um, so oh, those man. are probably the best places to find me. Well, Scott is uh, quite the entertainer. He so is. And he was, he was born for radio kind of context. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> he's fun. Well, uh, we'll definitely link to that as soon as that's out there. Um, Mandy, you have been incredibly gracious with our technical difficulties, but also just gracious uh, to share your time and your thoughts. Yeah, it's been and, a pleasure. Uh, thank you for inspiring uh, our vulnerability that... Uh, good it's good to have some permission for that uh, it's been a kind of rough day for me yeah. and so when you say that be like okay maybe you know everything's gonna be okay it's gonna be and, just uh, fine god is glorified in our god is strong in our technical difficulties awesome thank Thanks, you so Chris. much man no problem this was fun all right we'll talk soon take care bye-bye bye Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Um, thanks, Kyle, uh, for listening after this comes out. I think <laughs> you'll like it. Yeah, I, I'm. I have nothing but confidence that <laughs> it's a great interview because uh, you're a pretty good person, and 
uh, the, just the brief time that I got to know Mandy, um, she seemed like a really cool person as well. So yeah, and uh, I'm excited. Highly, highly recommend checking her stuff out. Uh, check out her blog on Missy Alliance. Uh, follow her on Twitter. She's UCC Mandy. Um, and check out her new book, The Vulnerable Pastor. I think she's still uh, blogging at Christianity Today and a few other places as well. She's all over the place, right? She's actually right now queen of the podcast. I've seen five other podcasts in the last two weeks that interviewed her. So you can hmm. find uh, her uh, charming accent all over the internet. Um, besides that, uh, we've got, I want to, let's see here. I want to get in touch with you guys. I want to hear from you guys. Um, so look us up. We're on Facebook. Uh, look up Tear Gas and Gumdrops. Tear Gas is two words. And then uh, go to iTunes. You know, uh, people have been uh, shouting out to us on iTunes, Kyle. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy named Bayou. Bayou On. Thank you, Bayou On. Five-star review. Um, and another one by a guy named uh, Earthboy17. Also a five-star review. But I think you think that one's a little suspect? Oh well, I know, uh, I know that's Tommy, that's Tommy Butler, and uh, which we appreciate the shout out. Um, yeah, he's on an inter- he's actually interviewed. So if you haven't heard Tommy's interview, uh, you should go check that out because he's doing some cool ministry stuff. But um, no, and he's just a really cool guy. Yeah, that was a fun episode, and he was pretty straightforward about some stuff. But, oh yeah, uh, uh, we've got uh, we we appreciate that because that just kind of helps us look legitimate but it also is a great way to get the word out about uh the podcast so thanks guys for the reviews uh thanks for your interaction on the facebooks and um i guess uh yeah we'll be dropping this on the day after memorial day and then uh, we've got a few more in the can and a few more lined up for season two um and i think you'll like it anything from you kyle no i'm i'm excited uh to uh, uh nope i got no i'm just excited <laughs> he's excited it's, it's, stuff. it's friday we're, afternoon we're it's friday afternoon it's i got uh, a sermon to preach on sunday and i'm just trying to keep my eyes open <laughs> yeah all right well uh cool thanks for listening everybody thanks guys have a great hope you have a great memorial